0: When was your first shave?
1: Ooh, all I remember is h- what a terrible job I did. <laughs> I don't remember it, like exactly how old I was, but there was patches missing. I think at one point I might have like pulled the razor like across my cheek. Ooh,
0: but yeah, you were bleeding.
1: Oh yeah, big time. Oh,
0: yeah, I, I remember in grade six is when I first shaved over the Christmas break. I should have been shaving probably at least a year before that. So I had this ugly, ugly mustache <laughs> For puberty hit me and no one told me that I should shave until finally one of the older guys at the church that I was going to at the time, he bought me a razor for Christmas out of nowhere. I didn't grow up with my father at that time, so he bought me a razor out of nowhere, and he's like, let's go and shave. And then he taught me how to shave in the church washroom, and I cut myself pretty bad. But I remember going back to school in January after the winter break, after I shaved, and I remember, because I was like the first one of, I think, most of the boys in my class, and everyone was like excited and running around (laughs) making a big deal about it. So it was pretty funny.
1: In our elementary school, there was a good friend of mine. He was the best man in his wedding, and he was really the only one of us who had that typical prepubescent mustache, and he rocked it for way longer than he should (laughs) have. So uh, I can can relate to that.
0: Yeah, I I don't think my facial hair has gotten much different than probably since I was 16, so I still can't grow a full beard, but every now and then i try and the patches just <laughs> I, sometimes i actually leave it in and i grow it until i have somebody that will like out in the public like a friend or student or a coworker will actually s- ask me about it and i see how long it takes and no one ever says anything i know it looks bad but nobody has the decency to tell me how bad it looks and i just sometimes challenge that until someone does but I usually give in. Welcome to Red Dot Project. I am Phil and I am with Ryan and that is obviously not Haley again. Uh, We don't have Haley again with us and we don't have Natalie so it's just me and Ryan today so I apologize in advance. But we do have a topic that we wanted to talk about for some time and today is the day we're going to do it. So what are we talking about today?
1: Today we're going to discuss the concept of toxic masculinity and how it shows itself in our society from day to day.
0: So speaking about toxic masculinity, do you remember that Gillette commercial that came out recently?
1: No, 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 I don't think I do.
0: Not that long ago, just a couple months ago, I believe, Gillette came out with a new ad that talked about men doing more, men not following the boys will be boys type of mentality when they see... Boys do things like fighting, teasing, bullying, uh, things like that. And through the commercial, they're asking men to, to start stepping up because there are boys around you in your lives that are watching and uh, you have to start to be good role models if you expect the positive change that we've been asking for. Through that, we saw a lot of praise. We saw people saying, you know, finally, commercial where it has a good message Unfortunately, we also saw backlash from that. We saw things like hashtag Boycott Gillette. We saw things like hashtag MeTooRazor and things like that.
1: It's almost any time an advertisement like this, which has such deep roots in social justice and, and gender inequality, comes out, it's going to be polarizing no matter what.
0: For sure. And you start to ask yourself, you know, is this why the company did it in the first place, just to generate some type of buzz? Or do they really care about these issues? Yeah.
1: Well, I just actually just watched the clip, and the advertising is very well done. I, I don't really see it as much of a, a razor ad as more of a, a public message that they needed to get out.
0: So you didn't feel attacked?
1: No, no, I didn't.
0: You didn't feel like it was telling you to give up everything that is good about being a man?
1: No, not at all.
0: Well, apparently there were thousands of thousands of men that did feel that way, and on things like Twitter, they just went off, and it actually, it's interesting because they decided to try to boycott Gillette, and they tried to jump onto other brands, things like Dollar Shave Club and other type of razor companies that sort of leaned into this and say, razors should just cut hair and not talk about gender issues and things like that so it's real interesting to see over time whether or not these real men air quote are still using these other brands when Gillette is just so easily accessible
1: when you think about like a razor company I would challenge anybody to name three because I don't even think I can name I know Gillette Bic Bic, they make lighters, pens, and everything under yeah, the sun. that's true. And then the only reason I've heard about Dollar Shave Clubs all the Instagram ads that that's pop true. up all the time.
0: That's true. Well, when you need to manage your big beard, you uh, <laughs> Google it once, <laughs> and then you're going to get ads on Instagram all the time.
1: Yeah. But I think it's interesting enough that Procter & Gamble, who they, they own Gillette, I think they bought them recently after doing some reading, they went so far as to change the tagline. So, For years, Gillette's tagline has been, the best a man can get, and they've replaced that with the best men can be, which is, I don't want to sound preachy, but it's incredible to change something so essential to your business that to reinforce such a positive message.
0: It really talks to how simple changes in our language can create different ideas, feelings, and generate different types of action through it, and it's interesting how so little change in that slogan has the potential to just change the outlook of uh, what they're selling and what, they, what message they're trying to come across.
1: Yeah. And just kind of further more into the article, Bernice King, who is Martin Luther King's daughter, mm-hmm. is quoted by saying, the commercial isn't anti- anti-male, it's pro-humanity. So when you asked if I felt attacked or if this is a message that needs to get out to benefit everybody, then I I don't think that anybody should feel attacked based on that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like in reality, the commercial is asking men to really do the bare minimum, to be totally honest. It's asking you to, if you see a bunch of kids pushing each other, just say, hey, stop it. If you see a guy getting ready to catcall a woman, just tell the other guy that's not okay, that's not cool you know, they're not saying to do a lot, really, like what maybe a lot of other people are asking men to do. They're, They're really just asking the bare minimum, but yet it just created this huge amount of rage amongst a lot of men over the internet.
1: Yeah. How can such a positive message, and we see this all the time, always become such a polarizing debate? When you think about what Gillette is trying to say by this advertisement. How does that concept become so polarizing?
0: One of the easiest places to start to look at is who are the leaders of these men? Who are the guys that these guys follow on social media, that they retweet, they repost, and that they basically try to be? You will look at guys like Alex Jones of the Infowars guy that just shouts and screams and thinks everything is fake and sells supplements to these guys which he recently lost uh, most of his platform because most of social media got sick of his act and realized how dangerous it was
1: reading a little more into it Piers Morgan was on here and I believe he's no longer with CNN
0: no he's not
1: he went on to say I'll summarize it I won't give him the satisfaction of reading the entire tweet but he said let boys be damn boys let men be damn men
0: yeah pierce i i don't know what's going on with him to be honest i don't even know why like where he even came from i know i think he started with america's got talent as a judge so he might have some type of entertainment background and then he went on to do cnn and then after CNN, I think he went back to England and he just, yeah. any message you hear from him is usually either bashing women or criticizing men for not being manly.
1: He began his career as a tabloid writer in England. This was in the early 90s, I believe. So now with Twitter being such a, an avenue for, for people to allow their opinions to be heard, I I can see why he gravitated towards that. I'd also mentioned in the article that uh, James Woods, the guy from Family Guy, see, he's from other places. I just, Uh I can't, I honestly don't know anything about his career. Just how he's portrayed on Family Guy, he was, he was quoted in saying that this ad, so Gillette, is jumping on the "men are horrible" campaign where I don't know if he watched the same advertisement that we just did, but I didn't really get much of that.
0: No, no, but all I know about, what's his name, James Woods is that he is incredibly pro-Trump.
1: Red flag. (laughs) Right there, yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, And that I only would ever know who he was is because of a family guy making fun of him. And if that's the only way I know you, then I don't know how successful you are. I'm sure he's richer than I am, but still.
1: Well, he was he voiced uh, character at Grand Theft Auto: San Andreas, and then a couple of other films, and he was on Family Guy and The Simpsons. So, oh.
0: what's his most famous film?
1: His most famous film. Ah, it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we look at how something so simple, such a simple and probably late idea of men just doing more to be inclusive doing more to be fair doing more to help other people feel safer Uh, doing more to help themselves is so triggering for so many and it's really interesting to see that And it's really easy to just sit back and think, you know, this is just harmless. This is something that, you know, doesn't really amount to much. Most people know better. Most people aren't going to feel threatened by it. But what we've come to understand now is that it is dangerous. It is actually deadly. And as much as we try to call, you know, every time... There's an incident where some young, frustrated man goes and attacks a whole bunch of women and murders a bunch of women. We call them lone wolves. We say that they're one in you know, a million people and we don't have to worry. Well, we've come to know now that there's a lot to be worried about.
1: Yeah, so going along with the topic of toxic masculinity, so there's the idea of They call them incels so it's an involuntary involuntary celibacy group so this is an online subculture which started in Canada and in this subculture it's predominantly white heterosexual males who are unable to find romantic partners so these these individuals often exhibit forms of entitlement to sex and endorse violence towards sexually active people as a concept and a theory it's
0: terrifying oh for sure uh, it's one of those things where we have to really try to understand like what drives these men to feel like they deserve or they are owed sex
1: that's that's a word that came up often there upon when we were researching this i spent a lot of time on the cbc They did a very interesting news article. Historically, this concept started in 1993 in Canada, and it was originally started by a college student who we believe to be a woman. They didn't mention her her gender in the article, but it started as an outlet for her to express her frustrations with her college dating pool. So no maliciousness, no negativity really attached to it at the beginning, but it's kind of gone It's gone from there to where it is now, and it's directly linked to a lot of the violent attacks that are happening, not only in Canada, but the United States and around the world as well.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where we benefit so much from the internet because it connects people to people who have similar hobbies, um, interests, and things like that unfortunately what we've seen in the internet it also connects people who have not the greatest viewpoints people who want to do bad things it also connects them too and this is one of the unfortunate circumstances where it has connected a group of what seems to be more often young men that feel like it's women's fault that they can't uh, have a partner or they can't or they're not having sex yeah.
1: so kind of a good an interesting quote i took from the article was that uh authorities in canada and the u.s are often quick to call these incidents lone wolf attacks so i'm speaking specifically about the toronto van attack and then i believe it was parkdale florida was the area that the shooting occurred mm-hmm. but criminologists sociologists are sounding the alarm on incels and other growing internet subcultures because it's almost a breeding ground for this hate and this negativity. And uh, they glorify and praise a lot of these really violent, awful acts.
0: Or uh, in other cases I've seen also, they downplay the whole aspect that this man was targeting women. I think uh, not that long ago, it was last month of the just a little bit over a month ago there were I believe two incidents within a week of a man, I know one for sure a man in Florida went into a bank and targeted I think five women and shot them and there was another incident somewhere else in the states and you know people focus more on the fact that they're so used to these mass shootings that they didn't cover as much because it didn't even make front page anymore and people barely knew it happened. But the other part of it also is the fact that this man actively was targeting a woman, and they also buried that also. Just didn't really talk about it much. And we've talked about it a little bit in a different episode where Natalie talked about her blog post about femicide. And then if you want to check out the blog post at www.red.projecttoronto.org, you will find some of the statistics that we see where there is a real problem where men are killing women and in the case of femicide a lot of the times it's more based off of relationship uh, type of stuff where uh, the woman wants to leave the man or something like that where uh, the man can't handle that but in this case in particular we just don't talk about it enough Um, and how do we deal with this group uh, that has really developed a quite of a large following and it's becoming more and more powerful what do we do about it
1: yeah it's this entire subculture is a word that has been used to describe what's happening here a lot of kind of what i've seen in looking into this is most of these people are not inherently violent so although there's a lot of hate spewed on these uh That's a good word, spewed, because that's what's happening, I think. Mm -hmm. On these message boards, it's not everyone's going on and acting on these. But a lot of the similarities with these individuals seem to be social isolation. uh, I think a poor self-image from what I've looked at and and rejection. And anyone who's been in the dating world knows how, how painful and difficult rejection is. But it's a part of life. Yeah, for
0: sure. There are some other connections that I don't think it's fair to certain groups that we tie them together, but there are there are some links that some people have made to uh, there are many members in this group that may be on the ASD spectrum, uh, things like that. So when you have um, young men that have social anxieties or aren't able to or don't have the strongest interpersonal skills aren't able to really pick up on when they're going too far and those are sort of things that are part of the diagnosis that they have but yet they still strive and want a relationship with a a woman and they feel like they can't have it um it becomes extremely frustrating and then if they find this group of other young men that are feeling the same way, it gives them that sense of connection that in some ways they were looking for. And for some of these guys, they go right into it. And it makes them pretty vulnerable to be convinced to do certain things that uh, they shouldn't start to entertain some of these ideas that some of the people are talking about on these uh, subreddits or these... Uh, online chat boards and things like that
1: it's it almost seems like it's a it's a means to go about being accepted and kind of becoming a part of a social network just the social network that they're becoming a part of has some pretty serious ulterior motives it's not about people being connected and being together it's about hate and violence and a lot of really really negative stuff
0: Mm-hmm. for sure Again, like, for a lot of the people in those boards, chat boards, I guess they're called?
1: Yeah, Reddit, subreddit, I think just message boards. Yeah,
0: message boards. So a lot of these people in these message boards, a lot of them are just writing just to write these stuff. But it just becomes so dangerous when that one person that isn't able to understand that these are just people talking in their idea that they take it that one step further.
1: So we're not going to spend too much time on it, but speaking of the topic of incels and these subreddits, the tragic event that occurred last year in Toronto, the the Yonge Street van attack, although this person was made out to seem like a lone wolf and was not directly linked to any organization, he can be directly linked to some of these, I want to call them extremist groups, but I don't know if that's some like loaded language that I'm not supposed to use. But
0: From what we learn from them, uh, from the news reports, from different articles and videos that we've watched researching this topic, I think it's fair to say they are a form of a terrorist group because they are actively encouraging people and and even teaching people how to create fear amongst different people in society. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that they are a form of a terrorist group.
1: Yeah. So that attack can be directly linked to these message boards, and that kind of shows. Not only is this happening elsewhere in the world, this is right in our communities and in the city that that we live.
0: After the attack happened, since then, you know, this incel group they really leaned into it and. We found out there were songs about him, there were movie posters where they put his face on on people like Saving Private Ryan posters and things like that, where they just glorified him and made him a hero.
1: Yeah, yeah, almost into a martyr, which in and of itself is a terrifying concept to, to think about. Mm-hmm. So these these individuals are are coming together online, and although the concept of Free speech and free expression is is so important to us and what we do as a country and as a society. There's a difference between freedom of expression and then hate. For sure.
0: Now, I don't know if it's a direct quote to him or it's what people say he said, but I believe it was Abraham Lincoln that said, free speech isn't going into a crowded theater and yelling fire.
1: And in hindsight, he should have been weary of going into theaters to begin with. but <laughs>
0: <laughs> Too soon.
1: Oh, come on. It's, enough time has passed. But yeah, so this was really, when we started looking into this, this was my first glimpse into this, this culture, this subculture that exists. The biggest point that I took away from this is that these forums, starting off in whatever means or whatever way they started out, are now becoming places that are packed full of misogyny, hate, and violence and cannot be allowed to continue as such.
0: That's the scary part about it is how do we deal with it when if you shut it down, then they go underground and then you can't find them and monitor them. If you just leave it, then you allow these people to continue to talk about this hate and potentially encourage other people to create these extremely violent acts Uh, so through these videos that we saw we see sometimes guys on these groups are talking about suicide and because they are so depressed and so upset that they don't feel like they're loved and then someone else in the group will tell them don't complete suicide go and create this huge killing spree in order to create this fear otherwise you'll just be a forgotten statistic yeah.
1: and then and to further that point in the article in the fifth estate the, there's a uh, a criminologist who goes on to say as soon as you have a suicidal disoriented male all bets are off in terms of what they're capable of doing so if these thoughts and feelings are out there and they're being they're allowed room to grow it's something that needs to be monitored
0: so let's go back a step I feel like we jumped into this pretty quickly. Let's go back a step and talk about what is toxic masculinity. So what do you have as your definition that you found for toxic masculinity?
1: When it comes to toxic masculinity, the definition that I found is hegemonic masculinity is the use of toxic, quotes, practices such as physical violence, which may serve to reinforce men's dominance over women in Western societies. Pretty much right out of the dictionary definition.
0: Mm-hmm. In the New York Times article, What is Toxic Masculinity? by Maya Salam, she writes that researchers have defined it in part as a set of behaviors and beliefs that include the following suppressing emotions or masking distress, maintaining an appearance of hardness, violence as an indicator of power. So, thinking about like the tough guy type of behavior persona. So, in other words, she writes, toxic masculinity is what comes from teaching boys that they can't express emotions openly, that they have to be tough all the time, that anything other than makes them feminine or weak. And it also doesn't mean that all men are inherently toxic. It's just the teachings that society sort of pushes on boys encourages this development of these ideas.
1: So my exposure to toxic masculinity really focuses on my experience in the the food and beverage industry working as a line cook, a sous chef, and a chef. The field itself is so heavily male-dominated that all of these theories and concepts are involved in every aspect of your day-to-day.
0: Yeah, just looking into that whole restaurant world, you see where men are expected to be in the restaurant. They're either the owners, I guess the managers the head chefs cooks uh things like that and then the hostess have to look a certain way and in certain restaurants they have to dress a certain way yeah. otherwise they won't get hired or they get fired
1: that gender stereotype exists in probably every restaurant that you would walk into mm-hmm. in the area that we live and probably throughout Ontario as a whole it's not to say that all people who work in the back of the house are sexist and toxic males it's just something that really presents itself
0: it's a place where toxic and sexist males can often feel pretty comfortable, unfortunately.
1: I think a lot of the stuff that I've really been trying to change about myself and my thought process and my way of being, a lot of the negative parts came from that business. So to know that now I'm understanding and trying to get away from it is, is, is very good to be a part of. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like thinking about growing up as a young boy in Canada, You know what messages are we taught? How are we told to behave and act? What are some of the things that we got away with? Uh, Things like that. You know, for me, growing up in the mid to late '80s to the '90s, when and then the 2000s, where I was like a teenager growing up. I just aged myself. So, <laughs> people who are good at math could figure out roughly how old I am. Yeah. You know, when I was a young child, you know, for me growing up, the things that I really gravitate towards were like wrestling, like WWF at the time, WWE now. Watching these huge macho guys go in a ring and fight as a pretty woman is on the sidelines cheering you on and things like that. Like, that's the kind of things that I was watching growing up and that combined with even things like romantic comedies that we see in the movies and how they tell us it's okay for men to push their way into women's lives and hearts And being persistent in it, even when women are telling you no, is just a hurdle that you have to take in order to find that true love or convince or manipulate the woman into falling in love with you. And those are the messages that we take in, and it unfortunately creates these false ideas of how fairness and an equitable society should look like.
1: There's a very interesting quote that really stands out ever since I've started working here with Red Dot. And the quote goes, men of quality do not fear equality. But as a concept, it's if you have something so damaging as toxic masculinity that can seep into something like mainstream media or without even being noticed, almost it, it's, it's become it's OK to go to somebody's house at two o'clock in the morning and bang on the window playing a love song on a boombox. Concept that that's okay and that's not not only intruding on somebody's sleep. I would not be very thrilled if somebody woke me up at two o'clock in the morning, no matter how good the song was.
0: There's another New York Times article that came out recently that the headline was "Traditional Masculinity Can Hurt Boys," says new APA guidelines. So the American Psychological Association they recently released a set of ten guidelines in order for psychologists to keep in mind when they are working with boys in order to ensure that they are doing the best practices. And this hasn't been really done before because, unfortunately, in our society, we just assume and has created the default and the norm to be men and men behavior. And so a lot of the studies and guidelines that were created of how to work with different diverse groups, whether it's uh, people of color or people of certain religious backgrounds or cultural backgrounds or gender, other than men, we developed ways to help understand how to be more culturally competent in working with those people. We forgot about how we should work with boys and men, and what the research showed that men have higher rates of suicide, men have more cardiovascular disease, men are lonelier as they get older, and by not actually focusing on why this is happening. And so we know that the current system right now is not healthy for men. And they set out these guidelines to help psychologists that are working with boys consider certain things and how Also, society puts these different pressures, ideas, and standards on men that while many men benefit from it and thrive from it, there are some boys that are really hurt by this. Some of the guidelines include things like psychologists strive to recognize that positive father involvement in healthy family relationships. Psychologists strive to reduce the high rate of problems boys and men face and act out in their lives such as aggression violence substance abuse and suicide psychologists strive to build and promote gender sensitive psychological services i'll read a couple more psychologists strive to help boys and men engage in health related behaviors and also last one i'll read psychologists understand the impact of power privilege and sexism on the development of boys and men and their relationship with others so these are the things that i think weren't Talked about before that now they're encouraging psychologists that are working with young boys and men to start thinking about and discussing with men.
1: It's very interesting that they raise the point about the father's involvement with the child and how crucial that is. And you see a lot of instances where the absence of a father figure, there's a lot of negative social behavior that goes along with that. The father can act in many different roles as a caregiver, broaden the spectrum in regards to what it means to be a masculine or...
0: Yeah, and I think that really goes back to that Gillette commercial where it says, you know, if boys are watching men and if boys don't have a father figure, like the APA report is saying, you need to start thinking about that aspect of how that affects boys. But then when they do have these father figures, they're watching them and if they're acting in a negative way, they're going to copy it. But if you're a father figure, if you are modeling the right ways to behave towards women, be- towards really anybody in our society, in our and then they're going to follow and they're going to learn and they're going to understand that's how that is the baseline. That's the norm. That's what we should be doing at the very least. And again, like going back to commercial, like that's not a bad message to be sending. It's a minimal message of what we should be asking of
1: men. It's definitely not one to get offended about. No, for sure. <laughs> Do the bare minimum in order to like make the world a better place.
0: That's all we're asking of you <laughs> right now, and yet it's still such such uh,
1: polarizing. Yeah,
0: almost. resistance towards just that alone. Now, if these companies and if society was asking more than that which we probably should be, then we could just imagine. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, so that's, that's the dangerous thing about this is that when we are progressing forward and we're seeing the more equality that we want and we think should be in this society that we've created, the more we push that way, unfortunately, we're seeing the violence increase also. And that's the scary thing, I think, is that the reaction is violence. And so what does that do? What does that what kind of effect does it have on the people who are fighting for positive change?
1: Yeah. Back to the we keep coming back to the Gillette ad kind of ties so perfectly into what we're talking about today. There was another Twitter post. I feel bad reading it, but it's important what we're talking about. like I wonder how the quotes toxic men who storm the shores of Normandy to liberate the world from Pure Evil would feel about the moralizing of Gillette, so the ad, how the people who fought and died in the Second World War, it almost seems like he's trying to link, like we're robbing them of something.
0: I'm pretty sure, like, a lot of those men that were on the shores of Normandy probably didn't want to be there. Uh, There was enlistment, and a lot of people tried to dodge, and unfortunately, not everyone was able to choose or could get away from going into the war obviously there are some men that chose to but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of guys that would rather not risk their lives like that
1: absolutely men of quality do not fear equality a lot of these these people who who fought in the second world war who's to say that they would be upset by this society is constantly in a change of flux and we're moving and adapting and changing and This is pretty much if you don't adapt and go along with what we should be doing, then eventually you'll be left behind. Could you define to me, Phil, I'm going to put you on the spot here. All right, here we go. What does it mean to you to be an ally? Okay,
0: Uh, so this is something that I actually think about quite often, uh, especially when it comes to doing the work with Red Dot Project. I have neither experienced homelessness myself, And I have never experienced a period. So I am in that allyship, ally role. And I think the main thing that I have to understand and that I have to always remember is it's not an identity. It's a process that you're choosing to be a part of. It is something that you always have to work towards. It is something that you just can't say, I've done this one good deed and all of a sudden I'm an ally for life. It is the continual effort that you have to make every day. to. It's not even proving to people. It's just that you have to do because you firmly believe that is what's right. And with allyship, you are somebody that has a social location where it puts you in more of a privileged placement. And so you have the opportunity to not have to experience the oppression that one group feels, but yet you recognize that that's a problem in our society and you want to actively work towards changing that problem. And so, yeah, allyship, again, like it's not, yeah, I sort of went off a little, but yeah, it, it's not an identity, right? So it's, it's it's sort of a way of life that you have to subscribe to working at every day.
1: That was an A-plus answer, by the way. Thank you. You really <laughs> threw down on that one. I like that.
0: It, it's almost like I taught that <laughs> lesson before.
1: <laughs> While we're on the topic, I went in and I kind of looked online about some challenges that face... Male allies. So, specifically when dealing with all the stuff that we're talking about, a lot of them you already touched on, but understanding one's social privilege, social location, and the link that social location has to gender. And along with understanding your social location, you need to know that people will instinctively question your involvement when you're dealing with issues such as this. So, when you're acting as an ally, your need to understand your social location and your motivation is huge, as you said.
0: Rightfully so. Like there is absolutely every reason to challenge every person of privilege of why they would want to give up that privilege in order for someone else. Like it's it's not something common in our makeup as human beings where we just want to do these things, put ourselves through harder times in order to support someone else. It's not natural, really. So for somebody who's doing it, you definitely should expect people to challenge you on it.
1: And then the article went on to say, saying things like, I'm a feminist, or I saw the light after the birth of my daughter is not enough. It's not as though you can put on a hat that says, I am now an ally, and Mm -hmm. this is my hat, and this is what I've done to achieve it. It's a constant process to go about being, becoming an ally, staying an ally.
0: Yeah, and and that's something for me personally is why I choose not to use... A label like I am a feminist when I talk about these issues. A lot of people will s- put that on me and say, oh, you must be a feminist. But I don't like to claim that because if I'm not careful with what I do every day, I can easily be an oppressor. I could easily do harm onto people who are not privileged in the way that I am. And therefore, for me to carry that label and to always have that ability to be able to do that if I'm not careful. Then it's it's not fair to those who are feminists and you know don't have that privilege. Um, so it's I don't think it's some I don't think it's a title that I would want to take on because I don't view it as something that I deserve.
1: When you when you bring in ulterior motives such as that or classifications or and you put a, a title on it like that, you're ultimately running the risk of undermining the women's initiatives that are so important. When you go back to understanding your role, you, you never want to undermine the entire process that you're trying to be involved in.
0: For sure. Like when I was started the work that we've done on Red Dot Project, I've been half-jokingly told, you're doing it to meet women, to you know make yourself look good. I, I've heard other jokes of, If you want to meet women on Tinder, you should put something about how you're a feminist on your Tinder profile and things like that. I could honestly say I have not benefited in the relationship aspect of it through my association, through Red Dot Project. I don't think, mainly because I haven't been in a relationship since I've been on Red Dot Project. But that might be too much information for the podcast. (laughs) I think it's important to understand that comes with the territory when you're trying to do this work. People are going to challenge you. So that's why it was so important for me when I do this work is that I'm not the only face people see of Red Dot Project. It's easy to market it as, oh, there's this guy that is so altruistic that he is able to combat homelessness and menstruation. And, you know, what a great guy and, you know, package that up and sell that and people... It's easy for people to sort of at least be interested in what that is about, but it it shouldn't be that uh this is a issue that generates interest enough on its own, and I think it's an also a big part of the gender equity piece that I envisioned when started thinking about red dot project was that not only does it create a more fair grounds for people who are receiving the service. The whole development of Red Dot Project is also partly to give you know women who happen to be students at the time an opportunity to be a part and develop this not-for-profit agency that will benefit them to have that opportunity or that experience that might not easily come around for them as quick so that they are able to get that right away and uh, use that to help their careers in the future. And I hope it has for those who've been involved in it so far.
1: Yeah. So moving on, well, not moving on, kind of moving forward to uh, there's an article on Harvard Business Review. And l- later on, towards the end of the article, there's a segment on how men can be better allies. They have some tangible recommendations for men on how to go about doing a lot of the things that we just talked about. So the first one they have is just listen. Listen's underlined in bold. By doing so, you remind men that listening to a woman's voice in a way that inspires trust and respect is a fundamental relationship promise you must make when becoming an ally. So much of that stuff that we were discussing before comes back to like proper motivations and understanding your social location. So the second one they have is respecting the space. So for instance they used women's conferences are often experiences full of exclusion, marginalization and discrimination. So a lot of these experiences are painful. Large events have afforded women a powerful platform for sharing experiences. So when coming in as a male ally to understand your place within that space is so so crucial. That's tied into the next one which is remember it's not about you. So as we talked about understanding in the grand scheme of things, it's not about what's best for Phil, what's best for Ryan. It's about what's best for women, what's best for the populations that we're looking to work with.
0: And also on top of that, and I hope I'm not like taking something that you're going to say in two minutes, but when there's criticism and say a woman or anyone say, men are the worst because they do this. And it's not about us as men because we don't feel like we subscribe to that that we say oh not all men are like that or you know it's just the bad ones it's unfortunately we're part of the group and for us to always dismiss it as it's another person not us it's you know not many people who are stereotyped and things like that are able to do that easily unfortunately whether you are one of the quote-unquote good guys or bad guys you are lumped together and you just can't walk away from it so it's going to be up to you to with your actions show that you're not one of them it's your words isn't worth anything
1: we need to be the change that we want to see in the world
0: you refer to like every like bottom of people's emails that you see (laughs) like the everyone who puts quotes that's like the number one quote
1: yeah so yeah it's Exactly. You didn't take anything off the list, but that was it. Thank you for adding that. That was so crucial. The next one is, this is one that I have had a lot of experience with myself in becoming an ally. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. So when we talk about not only homelessness, but when at the Red Dot Project, we're dealing with menstruation. Not only have I not experienced it, it's something that I've grown up a large part of my life never talking about goes on to say developing psychological standing requires a commitment to learning and abdicating for gender equity learning about professional challenges of women may produce feelings of shame self-blame and cause anxiety so if you're gonna be the change that you want to be in the world email quote (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna need to sit in a lot of the stuff that you have done in the past and you want to go about changing
0: And that brings up a great point that I was going to mention anyways a little bit later is, not speaking for Ryan, I'll speak for myself, is I'm not perfect. And I know we've gone through this whole hour-long podcast talking about how we are working to make sure that we're not these bad people in the world. I'm not perfect. I have had times when I have thought or said things growing up that is not fair, not correct, misogynistic, all these different things. And there are still times where I'm around groups of guys and I hear them and I don't challenge them every time. You know, there are days when I had the luck and privilege to be born a a male where I could say, you know, today I don't feel like fighting. And those are the days that I have to challenge myself the most to say, what's wrong with you? Why are you, why don't you feel comfortable challenging these group of people in front of you, especially your, sometimes it's your Close friends, and why do you feel like you deserve the opportunity to take time off from this? When there are people who this actually affects that aren't able to do that, and those are the times that I need to sort of kick myself in the butt and say, "Speak up and do something."
1: Absolutely, that's I can completely relate to what you just said there, Phil. There's a lot of stuff that I would have done differently, and if I would have had this knowledge growing up, I think that I would have been a lot. I don't want to say cautious. I would have been a different person growing up. But now the way that I'm I'm viewing it is the more understanding and the more educated you are around such important topics, the the more effective and I don't want to say better person, but the better results you'll get
0: for sure. It, it It's at the point right now where, like, I don't enjoy going into locker rooms because there's a chance that I'm going to have to stop a conversation that's happening that is just not okay, and... You know, I don't. I don't want anyone feeling sorry for me or anything. Like this is like some big struggle that I have to deal with because it's obviously so minor compared to the people that these conversations are about and how it affects them. Like for me, you know, I could walk away if I really wanted to and not say anything. But I'm at a point in my allyship and advocacy where I don't want to walk away from this type of stuff. I want to be able to confront it when it happens in hopes that people are able to
1: recognize that it's not okay anymore. So we've got two more on this list. I'll stop cutting you off so you can get <laughs> no, through it. No, that's okay. Uh, it's a really good list. I've liked it so far. So the next one is to engage in supportive partnerships with women. So the best, the best cross-gender ally relationships are reciprocal. So they encompass mutual mutual growth and you share your social capital, influence, information, knowledge. So if one person benefits, the entire concept and cause benefits. And then the last part is kind of what we were just speaking of. And it's remember that there are two parts to allyship. And this, I'm going to read the entire quote because it's uh, it's resonating with me as I look at it now. Keep in mind that committing to express As little sexism as possible in your interactions with women is the easy part of allyship. The hard part requires that you take informed action. So use your experience in women's events and initiatives to learn how you can best become a public ally, kind of like what you're talking about, Phil, for social justice around gender. When the time comes, this may require you to upset the status quo, as we talked about, to stand up for things that are uncomfortable and to kind of go against the The natural flow of things is such a crucial part in being an ally.
0: You have to go into these type of things with the mindset that it's a thankless position you're going to walk into. Well, you should try to keep that mindset. You shouldn't expect awards or special recognition for confronting issues that people have to live every day and that you've decided to champion or try to be a part of or you try to you know, be an ally for. You know, you have to... So it's going to be very easy for you to think at some point, because you're doing all this hard work, that you deserve some type of benefit from that. But the whole part of allyship is recognizing that you've been benefiting all your life for over it. So now it's the time to make things more fair because you've recognized that you've been given this benefit or privilege for so long that it's just something that you can realize that it's undeserved and it's at a cost of somebody else. So there are a couple of different groups that has come around in uh, Canada in particular that men are standing up against misogyny, standing up against things like violence against women, and just the whole idea of this toxic masculinity. Um, one I actually, just by chance, came across today talking to one of my uh, co-workers. There's one called Next Gen Men. So that's a non profit organization which engages, educates, and empowers men and boys around gender in schools, communities, and workplaces by promoting positive masculinity, healthy relationship, and gender equity. And their goal is to redefine what it means to be a man. So it tries to look at the root causes of gender inequities and have open and honest conversations with boys and sort of mentor them into having a more positive outlook of gender. Uh, There's another group that does a lot of work. It's called the White Ribbon Campaign. You may see them from time to time. It was formed by a pro-feminist men's group in London, Ontario, in November 1991. Uh, it was a response to the Ecole, my French is bad, Ecole Polytechnique massacre of female students in 1989, and this is an awareness campaign where men are wearing white ribbons to signify that they believe in things like equality and that. Violence against women needs to stop.
1: Yeah, there's uh, I'm just on the next gen men just on their their webpage right now. There was a blog post written by Jake Sticka. So I'm not sure if he's a founder or he's involved in some way and then I'll just kinda read. If we can all arrive to this place where we move beyond the posturing, the BS and the divisiveness of those people screwing up the world with those ideas and get to a place where we all acknowledge that to some extent, in some ways, we're all what's wrong with the world, we can begin the real work. Awesome. Like, just completely sums up a lot of what we were talking about today. We just gave them the shout-out. I don't know if that's good or not. but
0: Well, for the five (laughs) listeners that we have, they (laughs) found out about uh, what we think looks like a pretty good agency that – has been uh growing they are in alberta and ontario currently and hopefully if what it looks like they're doing continues to grow that'll be probably a positive for young boys who join that program
1: yeah. and that was uh that was taken from g.k chesterman an essay written by him so it was just a sub so less of a shadow but still pretty 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 empowering stuff
0: yeah no it's good it's good it's it's important that you know men who feel like this is a bad thing that's happening like they're it's important that the men who believe in equality and equity and inclusiveness and want to see a better world that just knowing that you know these things and feel these things isn't enough anymore there, there has to be action tied with it, right? So that, again, with allyship, you have to be doing that on an everyday basis. It's not just knowing it isn't enough anymore. It's and that's what hurts the whole term ally, is that people will use the tag or label of it, but then aren't actually doing what it takes to be to be that. In its uh, true definition. So, unfortunately, the music is playing now.
1: you hear it? I can hear it.
0: Good. I hear it now, yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't hear it before, but now I actually do hear it. So, now the music is playing, and that means what? I think
1: that means we're all done.
0: I think so. This has been a long episode of Red Dot Project. So, we do have to wrap it up, because I'm sure you made it to work and through your whole work day and gone back home by now and it's still playing
1: hopefully our voices made it just a little easier to get through the day
0: i never thought of my voice making it easy for people to listen to but <laughs> hey you know if it is then get yours checked <laughs> but if you like this episode or you've liked other past episodes and you have not subscribed subscribe to us we are on itunes and where else
1: So we're on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much wherever quality podcasts exist. If we're
0: not on there, there's no quality podcast on there. Just know that. So not only subscribe, you could rate us five stars on iTunes too. We would love that. You could leave a comment. We would love that too. But until we talk to you again, we hope you have a wonderful week. See ya. Bye.